Hi guys. Welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, the show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another day for a great interview. I have got with me a life coach and budding author. I've got Whitney Barbary. Whitney is one of our unsung heroines out there. <laughs> and yeah. I have found her uh, in a forum where we both learn about podcasting and things like that. And I saw snippets of her journey and I thought, wow. I need to get that girl onto my show because there is there are certain stories that just need to be told. Yeah. And hey, you're gonna hear it here first. So and if that is not a reason for you guys to subscribe to my show, then I don't wanna know. So press that subscribe button down there. Okay. <laughs> Whitney, welcome yeah. to my show. Hi, <laughs> I'm here. This is so fun. <laughs> Whitney, <laughs> it will be. It will be. And it is, it's, uh, it is a crazy, crazy thing. I'm, first of all, I'm so blessed that you have agreed to come onto my show mm. because it takes a special person to be open and honest about the embarrassment the mm -hmm. the shame the negative emotions that inevitably will have will have identified you at certain times in your life when you went through dark dark times when you found yourself in places that were hopeless and when you found yourself in situations where there is seemingly no way out. Mm -hmm. So there is very much a hero's journey there in the hiding. And I wonder how that journey started. When you were a young girl, I mean, you, you <gasps> didn't really... A, yeah. Uh, you didn't well, that, really think, hey... a loaded question. No, no. <laughs> it, when people say, tell me your story, I'm like, hmm, where do I start? Like mm. when I was nine, when I was like, you know, 16, 20, like it's, there's, I feel like there was a lot of heroes journeys and then one giant journey. <laughs> I feel like the Lord of the Rings, like there's three movies. They're all like 17 hours long. There's so many things happening. We're all trying to get to the one goal, but like there's all of these things that take up all of these movies. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you what, you tell me, I really can start from like the beginning, Benny, beginning, beginning, or I don't well, know. What, what Where did do you want to start? What did you want to be when you grow up? When you were a young girl, <laughs> what were you dreaming? What Truly? Were you, yeah. I really wanted to be, well, first I said I wanted to own a restaurant when I was really little. When I was really little, I was going to own a restaurant. I was going to call it Herbie's Hot Dogs and Hamburgers. And we were going to sell hot dogs and hamburgers. That's what I was going to do. When I was like 10, my parents, it was Herbie's Hot Dogs and Hamburgers. That's what we were going to do. But really, when I got a little older and really thought about like, what do you really want to do? Um, if you're not going to open Herbie's hot dogs and hamburgers. And it was, I really wanted to be a forensic like pathologist or psychologist, something because I'm obsessed to this day with true crime. I'm like, I want to get inside people's brains. I want to figure out what makes them tick, which is interesting actually, because now I'm a life coach and I do get inside, I get in people's cabinets. People, here's what's so funny, Stefan. People pay me to get in their cabinets. People pay me to get all in their cabinets so uh, yeah that's what i wanted to do 
Come on. I mean, what better four-dimensional puzzles yeah. could there be than the human beings? People so it's, hey, it's complicated. And I'm here for all of it. <laughs> I'm here for complicated people. Cool. Wonderful. Absolutely cool. And that is quite good because you are a complicated. complicated. Well, we all are complicated. Let's yeah. let's 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 give us all the credit that we deserve, okay? You yeah. can't just be in this world and not be a complex, beautiful, magnificent being yeah, that totally. has so many things wrong with yourself that you just yeah, just shake your head. Yeah. But you're still that magnificent being. Yeah. And it's sometimes it's just there's so much shit around us and on top of us that you can't see that magnificent yeah. being. Okay. That's when we so, do that's when we do crazy things. When we lose sight of that magnificent the mm. human being, like then we go do crazy things. Because we don't see so, how magnificent we are. Well, exactly, exactly right. But I mean there was a time when when you saw magnificence in the way that you portrayed yourself when you were a teenager you did a lot of yeah. things to try to fit in oh you tried God. as yeah. so many young women and young men we there's peer pressure left right and center and i certainly have succumbed to it and, and you did yeah. so tell yeah. me a bit about that time yeah. so interesting i was thinking earlier about our we were going to have this podcast today and I was thinking, okay, so, you know, he's talking about his road to recovery. And I was like, you know, I've never been addicted to alcohol or drugs or anything, but I was like, but you know, what's interesting is I think my whole journey was my addiction to, well, first I thought, was I addicted to love? And then I was like, no, it wasn't addiction to love. It was like, I was getting a fix from, I needed validation and I needed attention and, 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 you know, essentially love. And I was from my teenage years on really from about probably 13 or 14, I was trying so hard. I needed it so badly that I would take it from any source that I could get it from. So it was like, even if I knew it wasn't good attention or, or good validation or a good source of love, I was like, whatever, they're paying attention to me. Let's go with it. But then later I would face the consequences. So yeah, when I was a teenager, um, you know, that's a long story, but how, I'll get to the hero's journey of it. Long story short, I did what a lot of girls do. We're, you know, you're 14, 15, you're going into high school, you're trying to figure out who you are. But because I didn't have this fundamental foundation of like finding love just within myself, like loving myself first, I just wanted to get it from anyone. Mm -hmm. And so I would just put myself in friendships that weren't healthy. Um, I would, people would like bully me and I would still hang out with them. It was like, they would just like have me around to like, so that, you know, whatever they were looking for, they were getting it from treating me poorly. But when I was a freshman, I really got um, caught up in, there were older classmen. So I was a freshman, they were like juniors and seniors that for whatever reason, kind of started paying me some attention. And I really think in the beginning, it was kind of like a joke, like, oh, like, you know, we'll talk to the, you know, whatever. I, you know, what's weird is I wouldn't say I wasn't popular, but I wasn't unpopular. I was always in that like middle place where I kind of hung out with everyone. But I feel like looking back now, they were kind of looking at me like, oh, because they were the popular guys. Like, well, let's give her some attention and like then have a big laugh about how we like strung her along. But 
looking back now, I was conscious enough to know that they were doing it, but I, but I liked it. Like, I didn't like the fact that they were like using me to be the butt of their joke, but I liked that I was getting attention at all. Like, that's how desperate I was for it. So what really happened was when they saw I was kind of like taking the bait, they kind of started, you know, this was back when like AOL instant messaging was the thing, right? Like people weren't like texting. Everything was like on AIM. Like, so you would get on and like have conversations with people almost like in chat rooms, like personal chat rooms. But the problem with that was they were saving everything and then they were printing it out. So here's what happened. They were like flirting with me or pretending to pay attention to me. And I would kind of take the bait and then they would start making like sexual comments or like inferring that they wanted to like do sexual things with me. Now I was a virgin. I hadn't done anything with anyone, but I was like going along with it. And I was like, Oh, if I pretend to be really slutty, they seem to really like that. So like, I would like, I was kind of like making up all these things I had done. I hadn't, but I was like, Oh, if I say I've done this, then they like want to hang out with me. So I'm like saying all these things with them thinking like, Oh, like look at all this attention I'm getting. Well, you know, after like six months of this going on, like I go to school one day and like people are passing around like all these papers that this guy, he's like printed out our whole conversation. He's spread out all over the school, like everyone's. So long story short, like this happens to me freshman year. I never lived that down until those guys eventually like transitioned up and like graduated. So it was like two years at least in the beginning. I mean, and it was like, it was horrible. Like I would go with my friends to parties and I would come out of these parties and these guys would have like written like whore on the side of my car, like in spray paint or shaving cream, or like I would go to people's houses and like older classmen girls would be like, you can't come in here. You're a slut. And they would be like, your friends can come in, but you get to sit outside. Like, and I hadn't done anything, but they were like, those guys are our friends and we know what kind of girl you are. Like, you're not going to come in here you little slut. Like it was crazy. Like looking back now, I'm like, they were horrible. I mean, there was a period of time where like this girl thought that I was like flirting with her boyfriend, which I wasn't. But the problem was like this reputation I now have, which was so crazy stepping. Cause like I had this reputation that went on for like two years of high school that I was like this huge, like I was so promiscuous, but I was a virgin. Like while this was going on, I mean, I had barely even kissed a boy, but everything just exploded. I couldn't escape from it. So I finally just kind of like owned it and didn't even try to defend myself, which made it, people were like, Oh, she's not even denying it. It's so like, it's obviously true. But like this girl was so convinced through whatever rumors that I guess I was like talking to her boyfriend too much in class. And you know, when the high school slut is talking to your boyfriend, you just assume all the things. So like, she was a big girl. And I remember she like threatened to beat me up for like months. And so literally she would, every day she'd be like, I swear to God, like I'm going to beat you up in the cafeteria. And it was like, and everyone was going to see it. Like she was going to literally demolish me. And I was like, no. So I would literally, I mean, looking back now, I'm like, this is so sad, but I would sneak into the lunchroom early. I would get my lunch and I would take it to the old gym that we didn't use anymore that I'm pretty sure I wasn't even supposed to be back there. It was an old gym in an old locker room. And I would sit in the locker room in a stall just in case she came in there and would like eat my lunch by myself, like sitting on a toilet, like with my little tray, eating my lunch because I was terrified to go into the cafeteria because I was like, this girl's going to beat me up and no one's going to stop her because they all think I'm a slut. Like it was like that kind of like, I just it was horrible. And so what I really think happened was I just spiraled out from like, then it became this thing of like, I was getting the attention that I so desperately needed. It turned out so negatively that I was like, 
oh, now I have to find a new source for the attention. Like this is obviously off limits. Like this has all gone bad. Instead of fixing myself, I'll just go get attention somewhere else and take all my wounds with me and all my damage and like all the places I'm not healed. So at, you know, like 16, I met my first boyfriend. Um, he took my virginity very, very quickly. It was very, it was horrible. Like it was like at his best friend's mom's house, like at like four o'clock in the afternoon after school. Like it was nothing romantic about it. It was not like the movies. I left there. I bawled my eyes out. Um, I dated him basically all through high school and he basically did nothing but like mentally and physically abuse me. And it was horrible. Like it was bad. Like I went through a lot of things in high school that I should not have experienced until I was like adult. Like he was like cheating on me. Like his other girlfriends would like call me and tell me that like, I like to leave him alone, that they were his girlfriend, that I was just the little slut that was following him around. Like I was going through, like, I was having like adult experiences. Like when I tell people like, Oh, my boyfriend at 17 was cheating on me. I think people are like, Oh honey, that's cute. And I'm like, no, like at 17, as unhealthy as I was emotionally, I really thought I was in love with him. And he took a part of me when he took my virginity. Like I was like clinging to him. Like I was attached to him in a very unhealthy way. So for me, when I say he was cheating on me, it wasn't like this little, like, Oh my, you know, high school boyfriend cheated on me. Like it was devastating to me in that time because I was not emotionally stable. Like he was my everything. And I had given him this part of me that I thought I wouldn't do till I was married. And then I found out he was like also doing that with other girls. And so it was like two years of me just like following him around while he basically just slept with everyone else. And like, physically and mentally abused me. And it was, I mean, it was, it was bad. Like it was very unhealthy. And so I just took it into my twenties and then my twenties were just crazy. I just kept repeating the cycle, except it got worse. Cause then I like turned 21 and then I could go to the bars and then I would drink. Um, you know, my first year of college when I was 19, I got pregnant by this guy that my parents were like, totally not okay with me dating. Like I was living with them, you know, and they were like, I know you're 19, but you live here. You're not bringing him over here. We hate him. You know, they weren't saying hate, but they were like, he's, we're not a fan. And I was like, oh, you're not. I'll just go get pregnant by him because that will solve all my problems. Um, I married him, you know, when I turned 21, I married him. My daughter was a month old. Stephen, on our honeymoon, this is how I'll tell you, I'll sum up the entire three-year marriage to him in one night on our honeymoon night he was borderline an alcoholic. We said he partied a lot, but it was now I'm like, no, you drink too much. But we obviously drank and we went back to our hotel room and we got, I don't, I don't even remember what it was about. We got into a huge fight. Um, he completely trashed the hotel room. He broke paintings on the wall. He threw, I remember he threw a whole two liter. It was sun. I remember it was sun kissed orange soda. We had like four or five, two liters. We were going to be staying for like a week. He threw this two liter of sun kissed at my head. Like I ducked, it hit the wall. It exploded everywhere. He knocked this huge painting off the wall, shattered it, like trashed the hotel room and then left me there by myself. Like first night of our honeymoon, like he took our only car and was like, Bye you know, and just left me. And I remember calling my best friend at like four o'clock in the morning. We hadn't left town yet, um, to go on our honeymoon. I was like, you have to come to this hotel room and help me clean it up because it's a disaster. Like this hotel is going to charge all this damage to my credit card. I don't even know where my husband is, but like, please come help me. And it was basically three years of that, um, before I left him. And then 
I mean, I can keep going, but there's that part of the, if there's anywhere you want to dive into, I can stop there because the story <laughs> does not get any better. Mm. But that think, was like the first big chunk. Mm. And I think the, the interesting bit there is that you were seeking so much validation. You were seeking so much love and yet things didn't, didn't really go your way. May I go a a step back? Yeah. How was your relationship with your mom and dad? So yeah, that's always an interesting concept. And I've gotten a lot of like therapy and, and coaching actually a lot of inner healing through coaching on that because my parents were really good. It's always hard for me to talk about it. Not in a way, it doesn't like make me emotional. It's hard for me to talk about it because I feel like I'm being dishonoring because my parents were really good people. And I had a very normal childhood in a concept of like what a normal childhood should be, right? Like there was not like sexual abuse or, you know, I didn't, my parents weren't like alcoholics or drug addicts. Like I, they weren't workaholics. Like they were both home. My parents are still married. You know, we were middle-class. We took vacations. We had nice homes. Like they bought me a car when I turned 16, you know, like they paid my bills until like, I just, I had a very normal life. My dad was in the military until I was 10. And then we moved back to where my mom's family is. So I grew up around my cousins and we were always at my grandparents' house. Like, you know, everyone in my family for the most part is pretty well off, like financially, like we just, I just have very normal family, but, um, I don't, I don't know that my dad caused it, but I always had this weird relationship with him where I always felt like I wasn't good enough for him. And it wasn't like he ever said the words to me that I wasn't good enough. It was like, it was just like, I, I can't explain it. It's still kind of hard for me to put my finger on it because I don't want to paint him as a villain because he wasn't ever saying to me like, you're worthless or you're not good. It was just something about the way we interacted that I always just felt like I wasn't good enough. And we used to butt heads a lot and we used to fight a lot. Like we used to really fight a lot. Sometimes it would get a little heated. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was just interesting. So I did, I do believe that that was part of it. Like I didn't feel like I was good enough for him. And sometimes we still have weird exchanges where even as an adult, like I'm just like, sometimes I still catch myself where I feel like a 12 year old girl that's still like trying to just get my dad's approval. So I do believe that that did have something to do with it. Where it, where it started with me and him, I don't know, but I know that it was there for sure. Like that has come up for me definitely in coaching and in therapy. Did you ever speak to him about that? Uh, (laughs) kind of, kind of not still working on that. I'm working on like that conversation needs to happen. I'm really just working on like, how do I want to initiate that conversation? Because like I said, my childhood in essence was so quote unquote normal that sometimes I think it's harder when there's not blatant like abuse or, you know, like to just be like, Hey, like there was probably some things you did or said that you could have done a little better. And it affected me. It's kind of like, how do you go into that conversation when they're like, what are you talking about? Like you had everything you ever wanted. Like we were good to you. We've always supported you. And it's like, yeah, but like something is still off there. Hmm. Yeah. See, I mean, that's the problem. Well, a, it's a problem of generations. Every generation will have the same thoughts about their juniors 
and rest assured, give it a few years and you will have exactly the same thoughts about your daughter. Um, so like it or lump it, I think there's one curse there. The second thing, though, is to say that that there are always two sides to a story and that your dad had probably very different expectations one way or the other and that for him it was frustrating to see some of your decisions some of your journeys uh, even if they were not directly against him uh, and not directly contradicting his his things there was still the the kind of frustration there and being a dad now of teenagers there are times when i lie there and just just want to cry because of my own expectations which are high of course um not being met and i'm sure that my sons will have the same the same feeling as you have that they don't that i that they can never be good enough in my eyes and sometimes that's a little bit true because if they, if I tell them the fifth day in a row that they really need to wash up their shit and they still don't do it, yeah. well, you know, there was only yeah. so much, come on. So, <laughs> um, but at the same token, it is, it is, we sometimes interpret things so differently. And I certainly learned it very painfully when I spoke to my boys after I got sober. I, I took them for rides when they were, when I was getting sober seven years ago, it was the time when there was sort of a graze of Pokemon hunting. Yeah. And so it turns out that these these kind of games, when you uh, drive the car just slow enough, the game thinks that you're walking and you have to walk 800 meters to hatch an egg in that game. Yeah. I became the chauffeur that drove very slowly yeah. along car parks. Yeah. But I had suddenly my kids with me, and suddenly my kids were talking to me, and we were starting to interact. And yeah. they were, I was, I was trying to explain things in recovery and trying to explain how I'm changing. And suddenly they came out with some very hurtful things for me. Oh, I'm sure. But and yeah. the hurtful things were truth, essentially, that I yeah. was not there for him, that I had lied to them so many times to say, oh, yeah, yeah, on the weekend we do that and we go somewhere. And then I was drunk. And yeah. so nothing ever happened. So it's, it, I guess there is that story there. So that's, that's where your hero's journey will one day go. So that's, that's the intriguing thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But, well, crikey. So you had your 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 young girl. Where did the money come from around about that time? You you were you were struggling in a relationship that didn't work. You you were struggling with a with a little toddler. And yeah. so did you work and what were you doing? I did. I did. I was actually when I was pregnant with her, I was in beauty school to be a hairstylist. Mm. I went to school all day and then I worked in the evenings. Um, and I did that after she was born through our marriage. Um, I graduated cosmetology school. We stayed married like another two years after three years, we got divorced. And when we got divorced, I was not making enough. I had just come out of cosmetology school, so I wasn't making enough money to support myself. So I was just like, 
going back to what I know, going back to waiting tables and bartending. That's just what I know. And I did that. Um, and I just really, like I said, I got married when I was 21. I, I literally got married a month after I turned 21. So I never got to be 21. Um, so when we got divorced when I was 24, I was like single and basically getting to now be 21. I just lived and, but I mean, I partied and bars and clubs and, you know, weekend getaways and would just leave my daughter at her grandparents' house. Like I had so much family here. I could pretty much just go wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And I was, and I did. And, uh, you know, there was a, um, you know, finally I met another guy. He was a narcissist, like was like truly like a narcissist. And, but again, because I was so unhealed and so emotionally unhealthy and I never dealt with my need to be loved, just loved and accepted and just be, here's what's interesting. I really needed to be enough. So it's kind of interesting that you asked me about, about my dad, because the reason I would get into these relationships, cause it, when you think about it, you're like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like you were in relationships with a man that basically told you you weren't enough. So like you weren't getting what you were looking for, but here's where the unhealthy cycle comes in. I would, I was like addicted to those relationships because it was like, I had, I had to prove to them that I was enough. Like, I was like, Oh, I know that this guy keeps cheating on me, but like, I, I actually have to stay in this relationship until I can get him to stop cheating on me. Because if I can get him to stop cheating on me, then that will be the proof I need that I'm enough. If I just leave, then I never, like, it's like, I, I couldn't leave till I like made them see that I was enough. So it was like, I would be in these, rela- it was every, even my first marriage, he cheated on me. I had this three year on and off again relationship with this guy that was like a narcissist. And all he did was lie and cheat on me. But like, I just couldn't leave him alone because I was like, no, one day he's just going to realize he just loves me so much that he's just going to be really good to me. He's going to stop all this mess. And I just kept thinking, and if, if he'll just do that, if he'll change for me, it will prove to me that I am worthy of being loved. And I did have very nice, genuine guys that tried to date me. And then I would go on one date and I'd be like, oh, girl, he was way too nice. He was too nice. He was corny. He was not my type. But it was because deep down, I was telling, here's what's interesting. Deep down, I was telling myself that's what I wanted. But when I got it, I actually subconsciously didn't feel worthy of it. So I would push them away. Like I'd be like, oh, he was too nice. But really the problem was, when guys would be nice to me and would be very good to me, I, I didn't know how to receive that. I didn't know how to take that in. So I would make up reasons. I was like, oh, he's not my type. But really, I was just like so emotionally unhealthy. I could not be in a healthy relationship. Like when healthy guys would try to date me, I didn't know what to do with that. I only knew how to be dysfunctional. That's all I knew. So yeah, like I would just be like, oh, he was too nice. And then I'd run back to this guy that was like lying and cheating on me. And I was like, well, obviously like, this is where I want to be. And so I did that for a couple years. And, you know, me and this guy, this, this narcissist guy, um, we had another period where he just decided we just couldn't be together. So I was like, fine, we just won't be together. And I kind of called up this other guy that had been trying to date me for a while. Long story short, um, I ended up pregnant I don't know who's the father, the old narcissist guy that I was dating three weeks ago or the new guy that I was dating and slept with like after knowing him for three days. I mean, it was like this mess of like, first of all, why am I sleeping with this many guys in one month? Second of all, 
when that happened, I was like, how did I get here? I mean, I really was like looking at this pregnancy test and I'm like, how did I get here? Like my dad was a pastor for a while growing up. I grew up in church. Like my brother went to a Bible college. <laughs> my dad was in the military. He has a master's degree. Like my mom is, has a nursing degree from Johns Hopkins. Like we have, I had, I was like, I have a very normal family. I was not brought up in like this mess. Like I was never modeled just mess. And so I was like, I can't tell my parents that I'm pregnant. And again, and this time, I don't even know who the father is. I was like, no, I got to get my shit together. So um, I had an abortion, which was something I said I'd never do. I was always brought up pro-life. But the interesting thing was I was pro-life. And then I get in this situation where I'm like, how pro-life am I? Because now this is getting very real. And I, and I compromised everything that I believed and was like, oh, I have to have an... I, at that moment, I was willing to not be pro-life because I thought... I got to fix this. And I, and I did. And I went and I had this abortion. Um, I drove myself. I went by myself. And that that's a whole nother hero's journey. I, I drove two hours away to the next biggest city, had an abortion and drove myself home and had that whole experience by myself because I had so much shame around it. I didn't want to tell people I had done it. So I just came home and basically suffered emotionally through that by myself. And that's a whole other journey. Um, Neither one of the guys wanted to help me. They didn't want to be there for me emotionally. They wanted me to have the abortion. They didn't want the baby, but they did not want to like console me. Like they did not want any part of like helping. I mean, it was like, I was really alone. And that's a testament to also the, the quality of men that I was dating. That when I came up pregnant, they both were like, I mean, I told, I was very honest when it happened. I said, listen, I'm pregnant and it's one of y'all twos. And I'm just telling you right now, I don't know. I was very honest, but they both were pretty much like, I hate you. You better. I mean, one of them was really like, you better have like, you better have an abortion. Like he, I mean, he really told me like the guy that I hadn't been dating this like one night stand guy that I didn't really know was like, listen, I don't know you. You don't know me. If you're even thinking about having this baby, like he literally said to me one day, he said, I literally hope if you have this baby, I hope you die like giving birth. I hope you and that baby die. I mean, he, I will never forget him saying that to me. And I thought, what is going on in my life? Like, because I had given him like two weeks that I thought, okay, he's just a little freaked out. I'll just give him some time to like think it all over and process it. And I remember calling him about two weeks later and just saying, Hey, like, I'm just checking in on where you're at with it. And he was like, no, I still hate you. Like, I can't believe you're even considering having this child. Like, I hope you die. Like literally it was like, obviously he was not emotionally stable either, but when you're not emotionally stable, that's what you're attracting in your life. So I was like, yeah, I obviously can't have this baby. Like I can't raise another child. I'm barely raising the one that I have. I can't, I mean, they're obviously not going to be around. Like, so I did. I mean, that was a whole nother issue. And I remember after I had that abortion, I was very emotionally, like if I was damaged before, I was really not okay then because I couldn't talk to anyone. Like mm. I didn't want to tell my parents. I didn't want to tell my pastor. I didn't really want to tell any, but like my two closest friends. So I was like, where do I go? when I'm now dealing with depression and heightened anxiety and nightmares, like who do I talk to now? So I just like sank in that for probably three years before I ever sought healing for that. And, um, but then the drinking kept going and I was never like an alcoholic. Like I wasn't like someone that was like drinking at home or like, 
but it was like, I had to be like going out every night. It was like, I had to be doing things to like, even if I went to the bars and didn't drink, I had to be like, I could not be at home in my own thoughts. So if that meant that like, I went with my friends, you know, we would go out to dinner or go to the movies or go to the bars or like, cause there was a lot of nights that like, because my ex-husband was borderline and alcoholic, like I would never, even when I would go drink, like I just didn't like to drink till excess. I don't like to drink to where I don't know what's going on. I always like to be in my right mind. I always like to be very conscious of like, but it was like, I just noticed that I could never be at home. I couldn't be alone. I always had to have a man. I always had to be with my friends. I always had to be running and doing. I could not sit in my own thoughts. I could not. I could not be in silence. I would sleep. I mean, I was like 27 and was sleeping with the TV on every night because I could not be alone with my own thoughts. I didn't want to be alone with my past, my present, my thoughts. Um, So if I went out partying, great. If I went out of town for the weekend, great. If I had friends over every night, to watch movies. Like I just could not be alone. I didn't want to deal with my shit. I just didn't want to. I didn't know that's what it was at the time. I thought I just was like so cool and had such a life, but I just couldn't be alone. I couldn't sit still. <laughs> I see your wheels turning. No, no, clicking. This, oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's clicking because I you're rec- probably like, Oh, I relate. Yeah. Uh, no, I relate. Absolutely. Yeah. I recognize some parts of your journey very, very well in my own past. So it is, it's, scary and it's also weird to see your lips moving and my words coming out that's a little bit strange (laughs) (laughs) kind of a thing you know (laughs) Uh, yeah but I mean it's it's intriguing that uh that you did that you felt for example you you were saying when in your honeymoon, when the night when the hotel got trashed, you had this friend that you called at four o'clock in the morning. Uh, And so there were obviously friends around. But can I assume that you felt not right to talk to them honestly about what you really felt? Yeah, that was so interesting, because it was like, I would talk to them honestly, like, my friend that I called, Michelle, I called her because she was one of the few people that knew the dynamic of the relationship I had right. with him. So I was like, she will come help me because this will not be a surprise to her. Like what's happened here. But I also remember the week before my wedding, I will never forget this. I remember me and her were talking on the phone. I don't remember what we were talking about. And I remember her saying to me, Whitney, are you sure you want to marry him? Like you're going to do this. And I just remember saying like, yeah, I mean, I, do we just like have issues but like and I remember though I'm saying that to her but in my mind I'm screaming no I don't like help me get out of this but I didn't say those words I was saying them internally externally I'm like yeah girl it's gonna be fine but internally I was like no I don't want to do this but in my mind I was like it's already been planned people have come into town for this it's been paid for like I was like we have a child that's like three weeks old. I can't back. I just really felt like I can't back out of this. But deep down, I was like, no, I don't want to marry him. But I didn't want to say that to her. Even though she knew our relationship, I didn't want to say that. And there were times when my ex-husband abused me and I would lie to her. Like, I I remember one time, I, I mean, I had this huge bruise on my arm. I mean, my arm may have possibly been fractured. It was bad. I told her that when we had moved, because me and him had just moved apartments, I told her that me and him were moving a dresser and that a TV had slid off the dresser and fell on my arm. I'm a very good liar though. So like, she really believed me for a long time. And then when I finally told her the truth, she was like, 
I believed you, but I just did have this little inkling that you weren't telling me the truth. This was like years later, but I would have bruises and wounds from like our abuse that was so bad that I had to lie because they were like, people could see them and I had to make up stories about them. And I don't know why there were some things that I would be honest about. And then some things that I was like, yeah, I can be honest, but not like that honest. I don't know. I don't know. Guilt, embarrassment. I think it was the shame and the embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, for Christ's sake. It Mm. is always the same. And these are the biggest hurdles, isn't it? Because then we don't seek the help. We don't, we, even if we seek the help half-heartedly, which you did with your, with your girlfriend, yeah. The moment they actually hold a mirror in front of your face, you look away. You say, no, 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 it's not oh, like that. No, 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 yeah. no, 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 can't be, possibly be. But then in all, to your defense, which woman three weeks after birth has got the power, the, 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 the ability to walk away from something like that when your whole yeah. body screams, let me rest after giving birth. Oh, Let me give me the security, give me the, the 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 stability that I know that I can bring up this little munchkin there. Um, please, that is that is what your instincts will scream at yeah. at the loudest. You, they don't say, "Wow, I'm in a toxic relationship. I need to get out of here." Yeah. And even if, if he was to push a, a knife to your to your throat, there's still the yeah. the motherly instinct will will probably. Uh, try to convince you otherwise so there are this this was a a damn hard place to be in for you yeah and I was mentally a child I mean I was I had just turned 21 but here's the thing I was old like so I was always a year older than everyone in my grade so people like that graduated 18 my classmates were 18 I was 19 when I graduated I homeschooled for a couple years. And so when my parents put me back into public school, they made me stay back a grade because they thought that I, my homeschooling wasn't. So basically when I should have went into eighth grade, I went into seventh. So I graduated at 19. So when I got pregnant at 20, I'm one year out of high school. Like I'm literally still a child. So yeah, I get pregnant at 20. I have my daughter, you know, three weeks after I turned 21. I mean, it sounds like I'm older, but like mentally, I was like living with my parents. I had just graduated high school a year and a half earlier. Like I'm still mentally a child. So yeah, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm knocked up. Like, I think we're supposed to get married now. I know he's kind of abusive, but like, I think we get married and and I have to prove to my parents that I can get my shit together. So you're right. I kind of was just like, yeah, he abuses me, but like, I have to make this work or I'm the ultimate failure. Mm. Isn't it? It is. It's the ultimate failure. And, but what's funny in the process, we just keep like creating more failure. Is like, that, I'm like, no, I'm just trying to get my shit together. But everything is like unraveling. I don't know. Yeah, it's crazy. Because that's my first marriage. I mean, my second marriage was like hot mess express. That was nothing compared to my second marriage. That was bad. That, I mean, seriously, that makes, that makes my first marriage look like I went to Disney World for three years. <laughs> My second marriage was six months and it was a freaking, and now interesting because I didn't know when your podcast was my road to recovery. I didn't know that. I didn't know if it was alcoholism, drugs. Like, I don't know. My ex, my second ex-husband that was in the military, he was an alcoholic and a sex addict. And, um, I didn't really acknowledge the sex addict part until we got divorced because that was never directed towards me. Like we were very healthy that way. Like, but all the lying and the cheating and the children that he kept ha- he kept having outside of our marriage, I was like, oh, 
you can't not have sex with people. Like you can't help it. It was just anybody. He didn't care, like anyone. But he was severely, severely alcoholic, severely alcoholic. And that was traumatizing for me to deal with on my own. And, but I do understand. No I do understand. He was a soldier, wasn't he? Yeah. So, Which, so how did yeah. that work? Because I've, I believe the American military has got actually quite a robust system in place to try yeah. to help their soldiers as far as alcoholism is concerned. Or am I kidding they, myself here? No. I here's what it is. A lot of soldiers are alcoholics. Um, but they're like. Okay, people say functioning alcoholic, but from someone that's never been one, I don't know if that's like a real thing, but he literally was an alcoholic, but could function when he had to function. And I think because like him and all of his friends would drink, they were just drunk all the time. A lot of his single friends, they were just drunk all the time. All the soldiers, I mean, I, you know, when my dad was in the military, he was in the military basically from the time I was born till I was like 10. So I don't, I didn't really see that side of it, but being a military wife, I was like, oh my God all you guys literally do is drink and sleep around. Like that's literally all that's happening here. Um, yeah. So he, I mean, he was, he was always at work. He always showed up, um, in the mornings for PT at, you know, five o'clock he worked all day, but like he was drunk all the time, <laughs> but he worked. You, I mean, with, please do not give now away the, uh, any specific, uh, recognizing details of your husband, but, uh, in which, a part of the army was he may i ask he was in the army and he was active duty infantry so they're they're literally front lines which is like a whole other thing which of course is that's the yeah. tip of the spear that's the alpha that's, male that's the band of brothers yeah. all that and there is a, a very is macho macho yeah. culture there absolutely it's intense yeah yeah okay cool that explains to a degree uh, it uh, does the, the setup, the mindset uh, in in uh, in such soldiers, but at the same token, it is saddening to then see the flow-on effects of yeah. the toxic relationship, of the inability to maturely deal with something, and rather let your fists do the talking. Yeah, and that is the crazy thing. It's one thing to do that on a battlefield. Uh, it's another thing to do that to the person that you supposedly love. Yeah. Yeah. But he actually joined the military to get away from, he grew up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and he had a very dysfunctional family. And he, <laughs> he will tell you to this day, if you were to ask him, I'm sure, I don't know, I haven't talked to him in years and I don't plan to, but he always would say, oh, I joined the military to like, you know, get away. Like he, he really did grow up in the hood. He grew up in poverty. Um, you know, some of his background is his brother. When I, when I was married to him, his brother was 24 and his brother had been in prison since his brother was 16 for murder. That was gang related. Like this is the kind of like upbringing he had. So he joined the military to escape this, like just his hometown and his family and his lifestyle. But being separated from it now and seeing like, no, he wasn't just a partier. He was an alcoholic. I just didn't want to really recognize it then. The problem with the alcoholism is like he joined the military thinking, oh, I just need to like get out of this scenery and it'll all be better. But then he got into the military and realized like he still took all this damage from his childhood with him. So like he just had to drink all the time. And it was like, 
just kept getting worse because he kept creating problems for himself. And then he would just drink to get out of it or sleep around, which was another addiction. Like, you know, people think I'm weird when I say this. I truly believe because I know the person that he is when he's not drunk. I truly don't believe his intent. This isn't like my narcissistic, like, boyfriend who truly wanted to hurt me. I don't believe my second ex-husband genuinely wanted to hurt me in that way. I don't think he ever would set out at night and be like, I can't wait to cheat on Whitney because I hate her. I truly think that it, the problem was he would get drunk. He would do really damaging things to me and our marriage. And then to not have to deal with it, he would just get more drunk. Like, oh, like I've hurt her. Like I've betrayed her in the worst way. Oh, like one of my mistresses like actually called her like, oh, my wife's laying on the living room floor in the fetal position, bawling because I can't just get my shit together. Let's not talk about it. I'll just go drink more alcohol. But I truly believe that like he never really wanted to hurt me. He just didn't know how to not hurt me. You know what I mean? That probably actually makes sense to you. I've never been an alcoholic, but he was like, I still say this to this day. He was a good person. The alcohol like made him this other person that I was just like, when you're sober, this is like a completely different person. Then you drink and you are literally like this monster that like, you just hurt me so bad. And then I could tell after he would hurt me or betray me, like I could tell that it really like wounded him. You know what I mean? Like my, I had this ex-boyfriend that was, you know, narcissists are different because they don't like, when they hurt you, they gaslight you. They're like, I didn't hurt you. I didn't do that. You're delusional. That woman's lying to you. He never did that. He would just be like, I did it. And then he would be like bawling and like weeping. And like, he really, it wasn't like an act. Like he was genuinely like, why can't I just get my shit together and stop breaking her? And then to make himself feel better, he would just go get more drunk and like do something else that in essence, like broke me. And it was like this cycle that finally I was like, I didn't want, it was hard for me to leave because part of me was like, if I leave, who is going to take care of him? All his alcoholic soldier buddies, they're not going to take care of him. His family is barely functioning. His mother is uh, severely alcoholic. I don't even know if she's alive anymore. I'm afraid she might've actually eventually died from that. But I just thought I need to leave. This isn't healthy for me. If I leave him, who's going to, who's going to take care of him? I really thought if I leave him, he's going to self-destruct. So it was a weird situation for me to be like, this is very unhealthy. Like I need to leave this, but then be like, but look at him. Like Mm. I'm genuinely the only person in his life that cares enough that like, he's not okay. How old is your, how old is your daughter by now? She is 14 now. 14 now. And that, at that time when she would have been like eight, Mm. like eight, but see, I moved about an hour and a half away where he was stationed and I left her here with her father. So she really was not exposed to that ever. When she was around him, he truly was sober. She would just come like every other weekend. And for whatever reason, he could not drink when she was there. Like, I don't remember him ever being drunk when she, or maybe he was, you know, I didn't know. But she never, like even when me and her talk now, if I say things about him, she's just like, you could tell her brain's like, really? I never picked up on that. Mm. She just thought, oh, he was, she's, of the day is like he was so fun and like I loved him and he was so nice to me. He was. He was like this fun loving teddy bear guy that was so kind and generous. He really was so generous, so giving, would do anything for anybody, but then he would drink and it was just like, who are you right now? I don't know. Wow. Yeah. What gave you the power 
to get out of that toxic relationship? What what was the catalyst? Yeah, the catalyst really was um, we went to see his family in Chattanooga, which is four hours away from where we were stationed for Thanksgiving. So we spent Thanksgiving there. We were driving home the day after Thanksgiving. We got into a fight because he would not, he was not setting boundaries with his daughter's mother. And she was obviously still in love with him. He wasn't setting boundaries with her. It was becoming a problem. We had to have interaction with her when we were back home. It's my grandfather clock. We had to have interaction with her when we were back home to see his daughter. Something had happened. I don't remember what, but I was like, listen, you're not setting boundaries with her. This is, you're making it very hard for me. I'm trying to be patient, but like, she's in love with you. Boundaries need to be set. Um, We got into a fight. He literally pulled the car over on an interstate. I don't even know where we were and got out of the car and was like walking down the interstate. And I remember I was like, he's crazy and he's drunk. He will literally, I don't know where he will walk to or, so I thought I had to get out of the car. I'm now on the interstate running behind him. Like thinking back now, I'm like, this is the stuff of movies. He's running because he's like, stop following me. So I'm like running and I'm like, no, like come back. And I'm, I just remember I stopped and I was like, oh my God, I'm like 28 years old chasing my husband down the interstate. What is happening right now? So I drove home the rest of the way, like another two and a half hours. He had one of his buddies in the military drive to wherever he was, pick him up. Basically, when he came back into to, to base, he did not come home. I knew he was back on base, but he was telling me like, I'm not coming home. Don't call me. Um, I called him all night. He would not answer. I remember that night I took myself to the movies because we were supposed to see a movie. He didn't come. So I was like, I'm going to go to the movies by myself. I had no friends there. I'm like two hours from home. I took myself to the movies and I thought, I'm going to go to the late showing. It'll get out at like one o'clock in the morning. He'll be home when I get there. He was not home. He stumbled in drunk at like five o'clock in the morning and he passed out in the bathroom, I think. And I just remember something inside of me was like, if you go through his phone, Cause I had never done that. Cause really he was so stupid with his cheating that I didn't have to go through his stuff. Like I didn't have to seek it out. Like he was very dumb. So, but something was like, you need to go through his phone. Like I, I just was like, okay, just this internal voice. And I did go through his phone. And what I found was like even more than what I had expected. But he basically had had a woman pregnant the entire time we were engaged. I Now this I didn't know about. I did not know she existed. He kept her hidden. Um, I did end up talking to her. She did have his child. Like, you know, she was very honest. She was like, listen, I don't want your husband. I just want you to pay me my child support. That's all I'm looking for. And I want your husband to raise his child. Like, that's it. Um, that was an issue. Cause I'm like, okay, you already have two children. Now I'm finding out you have another child with some woman that like, I'm your wife. She has your baby. Something's not adding up there. That's a whole other story because there's actually a, there was actually another baby. There was two babies that he had with women outside of our marriage that actually came up. When I found out about this woman, she was like, listen, I also think I need to tell you because you seem nice enough and all. He has another baby with another woman and I've been in contact with her. Like this, I could have a movie on Lifetime. It's crazy. So I'm going through his phone. I'm finding out all this. I'm calling all these. I'm calling all of these phone numbers that he called that night when he didn't come home. Some of them were coming back to ex-girlfriends that he had been communicating with, taking out on dates, taking to concerts. One number actually came back to an escort service 
And I called the number and the woman, like the prostitute talked to me. Like she wouldn't give me a lot of details. She was just like, yes, this is an escort service. Yes. Obviously if this number is in your husband's phone, we've been in contact. And she actually said to me, you should just be glad that your husband came home at all. Like most women aren't even that lucky. Like, why don't you just be glad? I don't even, I don't know what she was trying to imply there. I just remember her saying, you just need to be thankful that your husband came home at all. And just be thankful that you have one. I just remember that's how the conversation ended. And I was like, I don't really know what you meant by that, but that's not going to work for me. Mm-hmm. And I just remember sitting on my kitchen floor at like five o'clock in the morning. He's drunk, passed out. I've, and I just had this moment where, you know, and I don't know what your spiritual beliefs are, but I believe in God. And I just remember God, I can almost hear it audibly. I'll never forget. He said, are you done? And I was like, what? And he was just like, are you done trying to do things on your own? And I was like, yep, pretty much. You know, cause I was brought up in a Christian home. So I've always believed in God. And he was just like, are you done? Cause he said, I have plans for you and these are not it but like, you won't listen to me. Like you're, he was basically saying like, you're trying to do things on your own. This is where it's gotten you. You're turning. I was turning 30 in two months. He was like, you know, he was just like, how much longer are you going to keep doing this your way? And I called my best friend, the same one that came to my hotel room. I called Michelle. (laughs) Michelle. I said, girl, I'm coming back to to Evansville. It was a two hour drive. I said, run us a U-Haul coming back with me. We're moving my stuff out. And I did. And I never, ever looked back, came home. (laughs) And he was there. My ex-husband was there and awake when we got back with that U-Haul. I mean, he literally was helping me move my stuff out to the U-Haul, but he was such like, he was so unstable. He really was like being so kind to us and helping me. And I remember my best friend saying to him, like, do you think this is a joke? Like, and he was like, no, she just needs time. She'll be back. Like, he was just like, it's fine. All we just, this is just something we're going through. And a week after I moved home, I remember him calling me and he called me one day and I was just like, hello. And he said, are you ready to come home? And I was like, I'm not coming home. Like, he really was like, you ready to come home? I'll come back and help you move your, I mean, he thought like, I just needed some time. I was like, I'm not coming back. This is over. I have an attorney. Like, this is over. It, it was over. But that was the first time I can actually say to answer your question that I broke the cycle. Like, cause other Whitney would have been like, okay, let's talk about it. I'll be down there in two hours. And I was just like, this pains me. It's hard for me to say this, but I'm not coming back because part of me, I mean, I wasn't telling him part of my heart wanted to be like, Yes, I will be back in two hours. We'll talk about it. But this other part of me was like, we're not doing this anymore. Mm. Me to myself, not even, I was just telling him, I'm not mm. coming back. But me to myself, I was mm. like having this dialogue of like, I want to go to him. And mm. then this other part of me was like, we're not doing this anymore. This is not who we are anymore. We're choosing something different. And that's when I really think my hero's journey really started. That's when I actually became the hero in my story. I think if that makes sense. I moved out of like victim and became the hero of like, yeah, this is really hard for you because you do love him. And part of you in this really sick way wants to save him from himself. You're just going to have to leave him there and know if he self-destructs, that's on him. It's not your responsibility. It was, a very, it was codependent. That's a good word for it. I've been very codependent with a lot of men that I've been involved with. I thought I had to like fix them and save them from themselves. And in the process, I was letting them destroy me. And I just had that catalyst moment where I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. 
I'm worth more than this. But there was a journey after that. I mean, the the self-discovery and the healing, there was a journey. It wasn't easy, but it was so worth it. And I guess that is the hard part. You have now chosen to make a stand and not yeah. in a grandiose way, but you have actually chosen to look after yourself first. And yeah. that started the real hero journey because now yeah. you had to deal with all your emotions. You're right. That's the hardest part. That's not, that was harder than the things I'd been through because I was going through those things, but I was ignoring all of my inner turmoil. Then it was like, oh, so now I'm 30 years old oh. with my, you know, nine-year-old daughter now, and I'm living with my parents. I'm bartending at O'Charlie's. Like, I got to figure this out. Like, what am I going to do with my life? <laughs> so, but, and I think in the questionnaire you sent me, I think I touched on this was like, I had to recognize what these men did to you was not okay. But at some point, Whitney, you're going to keep getting into these cycles unless you can start taking some ownership for how you got here. Because they're not putting a gun, like not a single one of those men ever put a gun to my head. I was there because I chose to be. And playing the victim and being like, oh, he did this and he did that. Like I could have left at any moment. And I understand there's some psychology stuff, you know, when you've been abused and you don't, but like, that's when I realized I have to do some work on me and figure out why do I keep getting into these same situations? Cause it was always like same situation, just a different guy. It was like same exact relationship, just a different face. How do I keep ending up here? Because I'm looking around and there's plenty of other women that are not ending up in these situations. How has this happened to me like five times? So that was the hard part of like, all right, now we're going to come face to face to how I keep ending up here. And that was the really not fun part. <laughs> but guys out there, uh, Whitney makes it sound as if she is a teensy weensy minority. No, no. There are so many women out there and so many men out there. Yeah. Okay. Seriously. So it is, it, that is not gender specific. And when we when we talk right now about the classic stereotypes of men and women, if you're gender fluid somewhere in between, it doesn't matter. It is the same, the same okay. things, the same principles. So don't get hung up on on if we say boy or girl or whatever. Yeah. It is get hung up on the facts that that we sometimes choose to not deal with what needs to be dealt with and therefore keep reliving the same Groundhog Day again and again and yes. again. And it feels like, no. And if you know, don't know Groundhog Day, just watch the film, mid-90s. Yeah. It is he, the, the hero there, or anti-hero, shall I say, is, is has to relive the same bloody day oh, yeah. again and again until he has learned his lesson. And only then let's let God or karma, let him move on. And he's the new guy. And unfortunately, many lives are exactly the same thing. Yeah, let it be relationships, toxic relationships. Mm -hmm. Let it be the cycle of addictions uh, and so on. It is, you need to deal with the underlying shit that you have is to. causing it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, painful, but it's liberating. Like it's painful, but beautiful at the same time. Mm. Self-discovery is so freeing. Mm. It's so true. 
So seven yeah. years. Uh, and that's where I, I spoke yesterday to to a guest and and I said, look, if you could go back uh, and change anything, have a time machine, what would you do differently? And she said, look, actually, I wouldn't because if I would go back, I would change the past and I would not learn the same lessons that I've learned that make me the person who I am right yeah. now. I needed to have that trauma. I needed to have the disappointment, embarrassment, shame, guilt, all those, those bad feelings for me to go onto the journey to grow and now be the person yeah. that I am right now. And I think that was, that was saying a lot. And I 100% subscribe to exactly the same the yeah. same thought model. I, I was such a broken person emotionally in the past for a huge number of reasons. Yet, by sorting my shit out, I'm now at a point which is so much more beautiful than I could have ever imagined. And I know that I'm on a, on a trajectory that hopefully will continue because I keep doing the work. I keep talking to beautiful people like you and I learn from you and I, I get insights from you where I have to think, wow, actually what she said there, wow, that really struck a chord with maybe something that I had not dealt with so far. Yeah. And and that, yeah. that keeps going and going and going. It's the most beautiful revealing journey. And guys, you can't do it when you're, when you're pissed and you can't do it when you're hungover. Yeah. So no. first things first, look after yourself, start doing the little things. And if you don't know where to start, get my book, have a look at the, the micro oh, yeah. habits in there. I'm going through bits and bits and bits, how you can work. Go back into the podcast. I've spoken to some fantastic mm -hmm. guests, which are talking about the various principles and, and where to start, etc. Guys, the help is out there. You just need to yeah. take it. and. Yeah. Um, and then just be open to one miracle after another, because that's really yeah. what recovery and sobriety yeah, and, and all that is. That's cool. It is. So, and there's but, no shame in seeking the help. Like, oh, God, there's yeah. not. There's not. Yeah. Uh, so you were 30 when you started seeking help. How did you find yeah. the help? How did you go about um, it? A lot of it was my faith journey for me. Right. I, I really got into my Bible. I really got back into um, what I was brought up in, like my roots as a child. I was brought up in church. Like I said, my dad was a pastor for a while. We were always at church. And I was just like, there was a lot of values here that I chose to ignore <laughs> that obviously were there for a reason. Right. And all these things my parents had taught me growing up that I thought they were just trying to restrict me and oppress me. I'm like, Oh, it's because they actually didn't want me to do all the things that I've done. Look at all this pain they were trying to save me from. I went back to square one and, um, you know, there, there's that Bible verse that says, and I always tell parents this to encourage them. Um, you know, and I don't know if you're familiar with the prodigal, you know, the story of the, the prodigal in the Bible, but it's just, are you familiar with that story? Not really. Okay. Just, but anyway, I mean, it could be a folktale. I mean, it's, it's an amazing story. Long story short, there are two brothers. Their dad is very, very wealthy. He has an inheritance for them. When the one brother, when they both turn old enough, the one brother goes, you need to give me my inheritance right now. He's basically being a spoiled brat, like, give it to me. I want all my money, all my things. And the dad's like, okay, fine. Here's all your inheritance. And this brother runs off. 
he squanders all of his money to the point where he's basically now homeless. So, you know, I don't know, months or years, he's basically homeless. He hits his breaking point when he's literally in a hog trough lapping up like the goop with the pigs. And he's like, how did I get here? And he goes back home on this like shameful, like walk of shame. He goes back home. And when he gets down the road from his house, he sees his father. His father's like looking out and he's like, oh my God, my son has come home after all these years. He tells his, you know, servants, go get the fattest calf. We're going to have a feast. We're welcoming my son home. And that's the story of the prodigal. And it's supposed to reflect how Jesus sees us. Like you may run from God and you may run off and take your inheritance and do all these crazy things. When you come home, there doesn't have to be shame there. You can come home and he's going to say, my child's come home. She, he or she's finally come back to me. Let's have a feast. Let's celebrate you being home. And so for me to go back to that story, but I tell other parents to be encouraging when they come to me and they say, your story's so inspiring. My child's being crazy, you know, doing all the things, drugs or, you know, been whatever. I say, there's that verse in the Bible that says, and this could apply to anyone. It could be an old proverb. It says, raise your children up in the way that they should go. And when they get older, they will not depart from your teachings. And so that's kind of what happened to me. It was like all the things my parents taught me. And they, even when I was being crazy in high school and I was starting to act out, they still were taking me to church. They were still, sh- they were still modeling how to be a healthy human. And so when I finally was like, okay, I think I don't want to do things my way anymore. I didn't have to go relearn those things. I just picked back up like, okay, I see why you guys taught me to be this way. I see why you taught me, why you instilled these things in me. Okay, I see why the Bible says to do things. Like it was all like, I just came back to the way they had raised me. That's kind of how it started for me. It was like, all right, what are all these things that I knew growing up, that my grandparents, that my parents, that mentors, people taught me growing up that I didn't. And I was like, oh, I am worthy. I am beautiful as a person, it doesn't have to be on the outside, as a person, oh, I do deserve to be loved. Oh, I do deserve healthy relationships. Like, oh, I'm worthy whether I'm in a healthy, like whether I'm in a relationship at all. Like I don't have to be married. It was just like, I went back to all these things I was taught about. Like, what does worthiness mean for me? I have to find worthiness inside of me so that I'll stop trying to get worthiness from men and people and jobs and careers and like whatever it was I thought I should be doing. So that's where it started for me. But I did eventually hire a coach and she really was able to help me kind of like start bringing things out. Like you said, like a lot of my shit that I had been suppressing since I was a kid and I was a teenager, she was just like, why don't we just go there? I mean, every session, like I would bring something up and she'd say, hold on, hold on. Cause I'd try to go past it real fast. And she'd say, no, no, no. I would try to like, you know, throw it in there and keep talking. She'd say, go back, tell me. And she'd always just say, tell me more about that. And she literally would just open the door to like, you tell me about it. She didn't try to even guide me. She'd just say, tell me more about that. Oh, that thing with your dad. Tell me more about that. And as I would talk, I'd be like, I'd be talking. And then all of a sudden I'd be like, and And then it's just like, oh, like coming out of me and I'm bawling and snotting. And like, (laughs) it's like you said, you, you think you've dealt with things and then you're like, oh, this is obviously a wound. Somebody's pushed on it. And now it's festering. Like, and that's, it was painful, but beautiful at the same time. Cause I would get off sessions with her and I'd be like, wow, I just cried for 45 minutes, but I also feel very free right now. If there's pus in your body, 
it needs to come out. Okay. So I always like, say that it sounds so gross, but not dealing with wounds. That's really what I imagine. Exactly. I imagine we put a bandaid on it. And then yeah. what happens is somebody comes along and pushes it and all yeah. that pus comes out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause it's just been infected for 15 years. Exactly. Oh dear. Oh dear. Oh dear. I'm so pleased that, that you then found the backbone and the guts yeah. to actually take this yeah. journey on. And how many years down the journey are you now? When was that? So, so you, you, you were 30 left, and... Yeah, I left him in November and I turned 30 that feb, that February, the first of oh. February. So I'm 35 now. Yeah, there So you it's go. been five years. Now, wow. I've wow. been married for three years now to my third husband. I never thought I would say that. I never <laughs> thought I'd have a third husband. Growing up, I would have never thought that. But because I took the time, I took about a year and a half to do some deep, serious, like healing. And this was very important to me. So guys and girls listening, when you're getting out of these toxic relationships and you're realizing like, I need to do some healing. I was very strict with like, I told, I told myself and God, I said, I am not dating. I am not, I'm not even going to text men. I'm not giving them my number. I'm not letting them send me messages. I, I don't want any distractions. I, I just want to get my shit together mm-hmm. before I even put myself out there. So I wasn't even like, kind of texting a guy, but kind of working on me. I was like, I told God, don't even send any men my way because I want to fully focus on me so that when I do start dating again, I will be able to get into healthy relationships. And I did like when I first started dating, there were some toxic guys that came, but I recognized very quickly the characteristics and the red flags. And it was very easy for me to say, Absolutely not. Like I, it wasn't even hard. I was like, nope, I'm not, that's, nope. I already see where that's going. I don't want it. We're not doing that anymore. And I could very quickly be like, yeah, no. Like before it got serious. I mean, I'm talking like, I could just be like on a first date and he could say one or two things and I'd be like, nope, I, nope. I recognize that. Like just little things you're saying, no. And I would just cut it off. Like, oh, you know, sorry, it's not working or whatever. And I met my husband now and he is amazing. He is in seminary. He's going to be a pastor. We have a very healthy relationship. He is so emotionally, I tell him all the time, I'm like, you are so emotionally stable. It's almost scary. I don't, it's interesting. When we first got married, I was basically, I mean, even now we're three years in, sometimes I tell him like, he's so emotionally stable and I'm just like a walking trigger. Like I still have things that I haven't dealt with. So I'm constantly just like, triggered emotionally all the time and he's just always like it's fine like I'm flying off the handle freaking out crying yelling whatever and he's just like she'll figure it out like brilliant she'll figure it out <laughs> uh, I mean he knows like I just have things that I still am working out because like you said now that we're married it's like when you're talking to someone and they say something and you're like oh I thought I had dealt with that but I hadn't uh, there are things that come up in my marriage that I realize like I will get triggered by something. He's not doing anything wrong. I'm just triggered by something. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with him. This is like past relationships of stuff I haven't dealt with. Like, and he's so patient with that, that he knows my history. He's like, she just had, I, and, but it tells me like, Whitney, you've still got some wounds that you thought you healed and it just needs a little more healing. So anyone listening, that's all that means. If you have something you thought you've dealt with and then something triggers you, a lot of my clients, like they like to go in a shame spiral. They're like, it's all going to shit. I thought I was healed, obviously. And I'm like, no, you are healed. 
this is just an invitation that your body's giving you that you just need a little more healing there, or there's something a little deeper. It's actually a good thing. I say when people get triggered, it's a good thing. It, it's your, it's your insides telling you, Hey, I couldn't let you deal with this before because you weren't emotionally ready, but now you're in a place where I can allow this to come up for you because you can, you can handle it now. We can deal with this now. So it's just like an onion. There's just layers to the healing, but yes, things happen in our marriage. I will get triggered and I will realize it's from my old relationships and old marriages. stuff I haven't dealt with, and I'm like, okay, great. Now that I'm done having a meltdown, I can see that I just need some more healing here. Like, there's just some more self-discovery that needs to happen here now that I'm not like uh-huh. Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. It, it is. It is. Recovery but- is a beautiful thing. <laughs> it is. It really is. It sounds crazy. Oh, yes. no. But no, 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 no. I hundred percent agree. Um, <laughs> we've we've gone through very similar experiences, yeah. despite, despite the fact that we are very different in 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 many aspects. At the same token, we are very similar. Um, and certainly, I had to, I had to grin here because my wife and I are just going uh, have been going for five years, basically of exactly the same thing. Yeah. Uh, when when she would fly off a handle because it's always takes two to tango yes i was the alcoholic yes i was an asshole at many a times and selfish etc but there's also a a story in her background there and uh, nowadays i more often than not can actually reflect and Mm -hmm. think first before i respond and react to Mm -hmm. any trigger and uh, for a while she couldn't so it was and it's sort of interesting and nowadays we find ourselves saying something that we look at each other and there's a bit of thinking going on and then a response comes out. And that is yeah. so different from how we were in the past. I know. It's blah, like blah, blah, blah. Blah. I <laughs> no, it was it was the, this kind of this kind of explosion. And it was like like firecrackers. So one cracker setting off the other firecracker. And, and then your whole house is on fire. And now yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you think, where did that come from? And you can't actually figure it out, but let's have a drink over it, shall we? Oh, God. Yeah, Yeah. I know. That was the past. Oh, God. Look, there is no doubt, there is no doubt people out there will will absolutely listen to that and think, shit, yeah, they recognize themselves again and again in your story. If people want to get hold of you, if people realize that you're a life coach and they want to get hold of you, how do they do that? I'm everywhere. Um, you can just go to WhitneyBarbary.com and that has all of my social media, um, email. So if you remember anything I say, just WhitneyBarbary.com because you can find my link there to Facebook, Instagram. But yeah, if you want to get on Facebook, you can look up Whitney Barbary Coaching. Um, Instagram is Whitney.Barbary. But start with the website because I have some free stuff on there. So if people just want to go get start their healing journey, there's some free content on there. We can get you going. So yeah, WhitneyBarber.com. It's probably the best place Beautiful. to start. Beautiful. So just look down there in the uh, description of the podcast and of the YouTube video because it's going to be in there. So you just need to click the button. But yes, guys, even if, if uh, you have been triggered as much as, as I have uh, <laughs> by this discussion, then within all means, uh, it is good. It means that you are actually ready to listen 
and you're Absolutely. ready for your journey. But it is a journey, so don't expect a 30-minute call with Whitney and you are cured, yeah. okay? Yeah. This is now an evang evangelical kind of <laughs> 80s yeah. kind of sermon at, uh, at the television. Yeah. Uh, no, this no. is an invitation of you to get your shit together, which is an active, yeah. painful journey where you get yeah. some blisters on your feet and yeah. where you actually might get yeah, rather challenged. Okay. Yeah. Stefan and I just invited you to get your shit together. Yeah, exactly. That was a formal invitation. We That's stamped right. it and sent them in the mail. <laughs> that Brilliant. was your invitation. Exactly. Exactly right. Oh, Whitney, thank you so much yeah, for being a guest so on my show. Uh, this was this was fun. And you guys out there, please, please, please look after yourself and mm. do whatever steps, take whatever steps are necessary to heal and to give yourself the love you you want to give yourself so that you can move forward, okay? Look after yourself out there. Bye. Bye.